Um, last Thursday evening, George Hook put out a tweet. Yes, do you remember George? George was on the radio all the time and uh, very popular on the radio. But he put out a tweet stating that he believes with immediate effect, underage rugby should be banned until a safe set of laws are agreed and implemented. And he has made the call following the announcement that the 22-year-old Caelan Doris will be out of play for the foreseeable future after presenting uh, with concussion symptoms just before Ireland's opening six matches or Six Nations match. Now, in youth rugby tackles are responsible for 64% of all injuries and 87% of concussions. 95% of youth players sustain an injury by the time they leave the sport and the British Journal of Sports Medicine found that 28% of all under-21s are likely to sustain an injury per season. Now, of course, among children under the age of 16, or almost, or should I say, amongst children, almost 16% of primary school children in fifth and sixth class play rugby, rugby regularly. At secondary school age, just under 10% of students play it. And the Chief Medical Officer of Rugby World, Martin Rafferty, said in 2018, the most effective, although extreme, method of preventing concussion would be to eliminate the exposure by removing tackling from the game. But today it wouldn't be a game anymore, George, would it? Well, uh, I'm astonished by your grasp of all the facts. Um, but, but let's look at this, and particularly my call. The game at the moment is stopped anyway. So it's not going to start again until September for schoolboys. Mm-hmm. So by next September, we could have a safe game. Now, you may well say, how can you do that? Well, the first thing is they've been talking forever about changes in the rules or the tackle law or whatever. It'll take years because you're going to get France to agree to it, the Scots and the Australians to agree with New Zealanders and so on. But underage rugby can arbitrarily make a decision about the game they play. New Zealand famously did this when they had a rash of catastrophic injuries in the scrum and they changed the scrum laws. Interestingly brought about by pressure from women and mothers. Um, it changed the scrum laws. Those scrum laws are now used all over the world, called the under-19 variation. Mm-hmm. So in September, we got have a different game. That's point one. Right, right okay. Now, Point two is that the medical evidence is incontrovertible and worrying. Fact one is that if you get a brain, a traumatic brain injury, i.e. concussion, at 14, it will still be there at 24, 44. It doesn't go away, of course. And it'll be there until you die. And then they open up your brain in an autopsy and they look at it. Why do they have to open up your brain? Medical fact two is because MRI scans or x-rays can't find it. Medical fact three, women are 25% more likely to suffer traumatic brain injury than men. So therefore, why is the woman's game an absolute replica of the men's game? Should we not be looking at that? Fourthly, all these kids in school have what is called a pediatric brain. In other words, the brain is developing and therefore more susceptible to injury. Could we not argue, George, that many sports, including hurling, including every boxing, I suppose, particularly as well, many sports carry a risk. And people will argue with you and say, well, George... That's just the risk of playing a game which is a full contact game. And, okay. and that and the parents being responsible for children should know that. And adults who start to play over the age of 18 should be well aware of that unless they're silly. I think that's a tremendous point. Uh, 
so uh, the World Heavyweight Championship takes place, uh, hypothetically, in Las Vegas uh, on Saturday night. How many rounds do they box? Fifteen. Do you know any schoolboy boxing anywhere in the world where they box for 15 rounds? Underage boxing is different from professional boxing. Underage rugby is not different from professional rugby. Point two is, if you get knocked out in boxing, you don't box for a month. If you get knocked out in rugby, as we have seen, literally as we have seen in the last week, you can be back within seven days. And the great medic, Dr. Barry O'Driscoll, who resigned from World Rugby because of their attitude towards traumatic brain injury, says there is no scientific basis for this famous head injury assessment. You cannot in 15 minutes tell whether a player is concussed or not. So, 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 so are you telling me, as a parent listening today, and I have little Johnny or Mary, who's 13 years of age, and or they've started a new school and it's a rugby school, and they want him on the team or they want her on the team, what advice would you give to the parents under the current guidelines and rules? What advice would you give them? I faced this challenge. I have three schoolboy grandsons, all rugby players. I encouraged them, I coached them, I helped them. I try and teach them as much safety as I can. It would be utterly wrong for me to impose my views on my grandchildren. What I am saying, and this is the most crucial thing, is not ban the game, is not stop rugby for schools. Rugby for schoolboys remains, in my view, the greatest sport a schoolboy can play. It is make it safer. And you could do it in a week. The Schools Association of Ireland could meet on Friday night, they could have a new set of rules by Monday morning, and we're off and running. Why? When, when I play... Well, then what is the... Well, what, in your mind, what is the resistance to doing that? If indeed what you're saying in the schools could meet, the Schools Association could meet tomorrow, change the rules to make it safer for young people to play rugby, what do you believe the resistance to doing that is? Is it because those young people want to play the same game that they see their heroes playing on the pitch uh, every weekend? Is that, is that what they want? Well, first of all, the kids don't make the decision. Somebody else makes the decision. Well, the Owen coaches Doyle. and trainers, yeah. Owen Doyle, Owen Doyle, as recently as this morning's Irish Times, makes another impassioned plea for safety in the underage games. And one way, if you go to Donnybrook or the Mardike or, or the Sports Ground in Galway for underage rugby, senior junior cup, you see young men beating seven bells out of each other. In, if you, here's the difference. Why... Why was there not concussion in the amateur game? And why is there concussion in the professional game? The first reason is that there are probably three to four times more tackles. And every one of those tackles is a head-on tackle. In the amateur game, a head-on tackle was almost unknown. Why? Because people ran at the space and they were tackled from the side. Now there's no space, because the space is full of people all standing across the pitch in a line, waiting for another 20-stone JCB to come (laughs) heading at the next 20-stone JCB and crash into each other. I mean, let's listen to the commentary. Let's listen to the commentary. More physicality. Crash. 
clear him out. Collision. Trump used faces like that, he was being impeached. <laughs> well, by the way, speaking of Donald Trump, by the way, well, actually, I'm not, I don't want to talk about Donald Trump. Let's not, let's not go down that road. Okay, we'll, we'll move on from the rugby just for the moment because now that I, I have you on the guard, by the way, it's your birthday next in two months' time, isn't it? 80 years yeah. of age, George, a bit of a turning point, isn't it? You must be due hey, the vaccine. I shouldn't be thinking about rugby at 80 years. No, you yeah, probably shouldn't. I mean, but I mean, happy birthday, by the way, because I won't get to say happy birthday at the time. But I mean, you should be due the vaccine very shortly, I suppose. You're in that category soon. I mean, in relation to COVID-19. Sorry, stop. Stop. What vaccine? Sorry? I mean, what vaccine? You, yeah, well, the, the, well mean, I, it depends on how you want mythical, to define the word vaccine, doesn't it? You mean the mythical vaccine that Stephen Donnelly is talking about? Oh, the, the one Stephen Donnelly talks about, yeah. Now, the point is, I'm very lucky. People our age are very lucky because we're actually entitled to a British passport. If you're born before 1948, you're entitled to a British passport. Like, if I actually could get on a plane and go over to London, I'd get the vaccine in about 48 hours. All my friends have been vaccinated in London. All my friends. Well, they're even, well in, the, in North of Ireland, they're, they're now moving to the under 60s, under yes. 65s. And Donnelly, Donnelly will go on some television, radio or program or whatever, and Donnelly will say, all is hunky-dory. Yeah, well, yeah, the rollout is, that's what we were told that about five times last night when he was interviewed by Claire Bird. The rollout is going well. I don't, I don't see where that's happening. But George, I I want, I want somebody, uh, I want somebody to contact me and say, George, at almost 80 years of age, you should be getting your vaccine by, and I, I, again, hypothetically, March 27th or Mm. April 5th or something. But at the moment, uh, there's two fairly ancient codgers living in this house, me and the lovely England. We have no idea. And, and what are we doing? We are terrified. We are terrified. We, can't, we haven't been outside our door. Minor exaggeration. We haven't been outside our door since last March. Like, and people of our age are just locked away. There was a movie with Jack Lemmon called The Prisoner of 7th Avenue or something. I remember, like I remember that movie. I love well, Jack Lemmon. Yeah, one of my favourite movies is The Odd Couple, actually, but go on, yeah. Yeah, we are prisoners. We are prisoners. And then you have, like, last night I, I watched Don Lee and he said that there's junior infants, senior infants, uh, leave inserts, da 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 No deal is done. No, he said no deal was done. Yeah, yeah. They're all going back. And then, oh, sorry, I just had a bit of a check. No deal done. That's not happening either. Yeah. And then there's a, out around the country, there are hundreds of thousands of parents saying, holy suffering, my love. But he went onto Twitter then an hour later and said he made a mistake. The deal was done. <laughs> they don't know what they're doing. They're giving information to journalists and they're not giving it to the right people and they're selling their stories. Well, as they sell the stories, giving them to English newspapers rather than standing up at a podium to the Irish people and telling them what to do. George, how do you believe they've handled COVID-19 from the get-go? I mean, let's not even say from the get-go. From uh, February up to about June, we were all concerned. The data wasn't there. We didn't know what was going on. We didn't know how dangerous it was. But we have a fair idea since last June of what's going on. We've been in continuous lockdown, more or less, since then. How do you, do, do you think that was sustainable? You see complacency now? People are not bothered anymore? Oh, I think, I think that the second worst Minister for Health in history, Simon Harris, is now the situation of, please come back, Simon, and save the Department of Health from the depredations of Donnelly. But I think we actually got it wrong. In a famous sentence by Harris, 
in which he said, we will follow the science. And I'm not sure that we slavishly followed Neffet or Houlihan or whoever. Like, there is no occasion in a hundred years of this state where a civil servant has publicly run the country, where a civil servant has come out and said, this is what we're going to do, and this is what's going to happen, and this is going to be done. A civil servant would go to the minister, and in this case, Tichuk, and say, Tichuk, this is what should be done. And then Tichuk would come out. Like, can you imagine if Neffet was warning Britain during World War Two, and Winston <laughs> Churchill was sitting on his bus in number 10 Downing Street? He wouldn't be sitting bus. on his bus. That's the whole point of it. He wouldn't be. Exactly. Now, the thing we don't know, and I think when the history of this is written, it's going, it's going to be very bad because what we have no idea at the moment is is how many people are dying because they're not getting any cancer treatment. But these deaths or, are unquantifiable, unfortunately. Unquantifiable. And, and by the way, there was, there was a research out in the United States that suggested over the next 15 years that 790,000 people would die um, of non-related COVID. In other words, not from COVID, but something to do with lockdowns or maybe they'd put on weight or they'd turn to alcoholism or all that kind of thing. So over 15 also, years, a million people nearly. Also, if, God forbid, I... I I, I, I go out in a car and I crash and I die. But I happen to be tested for positive. Yep. I'm not listed as victim of car crash. I'm listed as victim of COVID. Well, here's the thing then, George. If you're so sceptical about, and, and I agree with your scepticism, by the way, but if you're so sceptical about the way we're defining death as COVID-19 and a lot of, or as they say, COVID-related, or as Sky News put it, um, died with COVID positive test in the last 28 days. If you're so sceptical about that, why are you in your house locked up? Because funny enough, it surprises me. As I become older, I've actually become sort of more law-abiding. And, and when, <laughs> that surprises uh, me. Yes, it surprised me too, I can tell you. And it surprises the lovelies who sitting in the kitchen. Um, but when the person who is in charge says, like, you do not go travel. You do not go and see your grandchildren for a cup of tea. You And uh, previously, you, I, I, I deliberately checked was I more than five kilometers from my golf club. And I so are you telling me you haven't broken a rule? In relation to COVID? No. Yeah, yeah. No. no. You haven't broken one, George. Well, what rule are you talking about? Well, I don't know. Gone past your 5k, hugged your grandkids. I don't know. Have you not broke, have you broke any rules at all? No. Well, you, you shocked I, me. <laughs> I'm entitled to do certain things. And what mm. I'm entitled to do, I do. I like my children are entitled to do the shopping for me and bring it to me. Yeah. And there there are as long as certain safety procedures. So if I if I drive to a coffee shop, which I can do on a Sunday morning, and I meet my daughter and she is in her car and I'm in my car and the two of us are masked. And she's talking through her window to me, to my... Yeah, unless COVID is a trapeze artist, it's not going to get over to you. (laughs) So therefore, like, that's not breaking the rules. No, well, no, it it certainly isn't. No. No, no, I mean, so so you you, you have a common sense approach, I suppose. Let's take one which is a little more seriously for somebody who takes his golf seriously, like me. 
I was told I could only go to my golf club if it was within five kilometers. Right. I checked. There actually is an app because it's not what it is on your car. It's as the crow flies. Right. I didn't know it was as the crow flies, but there you go. Yeah. So you get an app and you put in hook, fox, rock, and you put in Milton Golf Club and a circle comes up on the app and you're either inside the circle or outside the circle. Oh, right. Okay. Okay. I'm outside the circle, so I didn't go to the golf club. And how does it make you feel when you watch videos of, you know, the Guardi stopping people, you know, and... I suppose some people say harassing people or questioning people about being outside their 5K. Like we had a woman on there during the week and she said she went to visit her granny who was 92 years of age. It was actually Ruth, actually. She went to visit her granny who was 92 years of age uh, and she makes her a cup of tea and does a bit of shopping for her and the police stopped her and told her it was a non-essential journey. When, when you hear, and she was harassed for it and all that kind of carry on. And, and well, when, when you see that happening in your country, the country you've lived in all your life. Well, you see, the real worrying thing in fact and I'm not diminishing that lady in the slightest, right? The real worrying thing is that this state is now using the police force for jobs it was never designed to do. So let's say who's the next government. I don't know who they're going to be. The next government comes in. And Joe McDougs, Minister for Justice, says everybody with a house worth of more than 200000 the, uh, the Gardaí are going to come and investigate and see where did we get the money to buy it from, or whatever. This is the danger of using the cops to turn people back on a job that they weren't designed for. Is the infringement of civil liberties. Now, each, John F. Kennedy made a wonderful speech. He said, that on, on his inauguration, he said, freedom is not lost by guns, bullets, or bombs. Freedom is lost by the breaking of principles. And that's, we're looking at the first chinks in the principle of civil liberties. That's my worry. Okay, so you, you agree with some of those people who suggest that we've almost become a police state and compare it to World War well, yeah, II. at one point talked about the army. Well, they did, yeah, of course. Yeah, they were going to put the army up at the border, weren't they, between here and Northern Ireland at one stage there, going back a few weeks ago. Mind you, they seem to abandon that idea because I, I fear that they, they think the repercussions of that may be a lot worse. I mean, there was a story that obviously the two doctors had found the dog over the, you know, two weeks ago, which could have put a smile on people's faces, only to be found out at the weekend. The Guardi are now investigating the couple who found the dog because they were outside their 5K and some miserable old sod reported them. How does it make you feel when you see Irish people turning on each other and curtain twitching and snitching. <laughs> you know, like, you shouldn't have made this phone call this morning. I mean, there's no doubt you should not have called me because you, you actually sort of, the volcano then started erupting. Are you erupting now, are you, George? Yeah, yeah, yeah. go on, erupt away. <laughs> well, like, this is taking it to a bit of an extreme. Did you, did, by the way, did you know the guards are investigating that poor couple who found the dog? I did, I heard that. Uh, here's, <laughs> the point. here's the point. Here's the point. And, and the people now listening will say, your man hook is off his trolley. It's all right. You, you can't be removed from the radio again. You yeah. can only remove yeah. once. Yeah, only once. In Germany, right? Yeah. People were afraid because your next door neighbor reported you for uh, listening to the BBC or whatever it was. And then what happened was, of course, people who didn't like Joe reported Joe for some non-important non, uh, offence, 
get their own back on them. Now, a, we all, there is also a great book called The Valley of the Squinting Windows, a great Irish piece of picture. If we get to the point that we're already there, we're already there, where we are saying to Irish people, it is okay to snitch on your neighbor. Did you? Like, I'm 80 years of age. Yeah. I was born six months before Pearl Harbor. I have never in my entire life thought that that would be the Ireland I live in. I never thought that. And now that's the Ireland we live in. Do you think tomorrow, if COVID goes away tomorrow, do you think the snitchers are suddenly going to undergo some sort of... Uh, Lobotomy uh, to have the snitch, the the snitch gland removed. Yeah. No, I agree with you. I think what's happened now is people have been socially conditioned to a certain way of thinking, and it's very hard to undo that, just like you mentioned the Garda Khan and the the power, or some people call it the abuse of power. I mean, it's very hard to withdraw power once you give it to somebody. Correct. Correct. And I don't know know where we're going to go. So, George, just very quickly, because I've run out of time now, and it's been very interesting talking to you, by the way, and lovely to hear your voice again, by the way, George. Uh, Well, you have my number. Like, you can ring me up any time and talk about Netflix, of which I'm an expert. (laughs) 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 We we might take you up on that offer, but in the the meantime, give me a quick prediction. I mean, you're always good at predictions. Mind you, you didn't predict some things, but you're always good at predictions. When do you think... I'll be jetting off on my holidays to Florida and I'll be driving around Ireland carefree and I'll be able to shake hands and hug my own son, which I did yesterday in public. I hugged him. And while I was hugging him, I was looking around to make sure nobody saw me. So when when do you think uh, we'll be able to do that without a worry? 2022. Oh, Jesus, George. Well, you asked me. I know, I know I asked you. Just because you don't like the answer. You can't come out to me. <laughs> Have you planned your birthday yet? Have you got a, have you got a plan? Uh, it's a big one, George. It's 80, you know what I mean? Under normal okay. circumstances, we'd have you off in some rest, swanky restaurant with a load of people around, but what are we going to do? Uh, I'd say it'd be the same as the last 387 days. <laughs> 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 the, the lovely Ingrid will just have to make you a nice cake. Uh, well, uh, that's unlikely, but but she will because she is an astonishingly good cook. She will make me undoubtedly a very good dinner. Okay, somebody just sent you in a message here just before I go into the break. Hold on, I just played this. I have no idea what it's about. Niall, George Truck is a hero of mine. I've been listening in, in my truck since I got my first truck license. Literally, the day news talk came on the air. We'll tell him thanks for all the happy memories, and I hope, wish him and the lovely Ingrid, as he likes to call her, the best of luck in the future. He was a great man, a great man. He's still he was. alive. Thanks very much, man. Sadly, missed him. <laughs> did you hear that? He was a great man. He's still alive. That was gorgeous. That was gorgeous. George, lovely to talk to you again. Thank you very I'm much for taking the call today. Uh, good health to you. Long life to you. And keep your airwaves buzzing. I'll send you a birthday card. Happy birthday. All right. See you, George. Bye. There you go. The great George Hook.